Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... The charcoal mask, great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? Uh, hello? Hey, Janice, I am so sorry, I thought I was on mute. <laughs> no, we don't need to reschedule, I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Grammar Girl here. I'm Mignon Fogarty, and you can think of me as your friendly guide to the English language. We talk about writing, history, rules, and other cool stuff. And today, we're going to have an especially exciting conversation with John Kelly. He is the Senior Director of Editorial at Dictionary.com. Hi, John. Thanks for being here with us today. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So what does it mean that you're the Senior Director of Editorial at Dictionary.com? What's your day look like? I get to work with a lot of different words. Let's just put it that way. The words just don't stop coming and what we have to do with them, well, it keeps us uh, keeps us in our jobs. I have the great job of getting to oversee our wonderful dictionary at dictionary.com as well as our thesaurus at thesaurus.com. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> and all of the hundreds and even thousands of pieces of supporting content we do to help you learn words, connect with words, have fun with words, struggle with words, uh, and it all comes place uh, into place under dictionaryandthesaurus.com. Right. So talk about that fire hose of words that, you know, is coming at you all the time. How do you, how do you, well, first, let's say first, how does a new word get in the dictionary? That is a great question. And a fire hose is a great, great metaphor for that. The vocabulary of the English language is vast. I would argue it's infinite, technically. <laughs> and as a dictionary, we have to make priorities. We have to look at the words that we think that an average user would have reason to look up. And we set some criteria for that. The word needs to be used by a lot of people, not just one or two or a subculture, but also it needs to be used by those people largely in the same way. So that means it has a common shared meaning. We also look at words that are likely to stick around on social media, on TikTok. Very often you'll see a slang term. It's of the moment, flavor of the month, flash in the pan. And then next week it's gone, we're on the next thing. We have to prioritize words that we think are going to stick around, that have staying power. And finally, words that are used for a general audience. Right now, I'm sure in some exciting laboratory in Berkeley, there is a new chemical being developed that has a very long name, right? That's a meaningful word. It's a real word, but a general audience isn't likely to encounter it. So we're going to prioritize words like new slang senses of tea or words like hope punk that are uh, evolving in pop culture or lie flat in, you know, as our work culture changes. Those are just a small, small taste of all the words that we keep up with that a general audience does encounter. That's such a good point. I mean, there are specialized dictionaries for things like medical terms and bi biology terms and things like that. And you already have me curious, what is Hope Punk? <laughs> 
Well, Hope Punk is a genre of science fiction, I believe. You know what I don't have with all the words I have to encounter? I don't have its definition top of mind. So I'm going to go to dictionary.com. <laughs> and yes, it's a subgenre of speculative fiction, you know, science fiction. That is actually uh, the opposite of grimdark, uh, dystopian literature. It is uh, trying to send out some positive vibes to the world uh, during these challenging times. And that actually, what just happened is such a great lesson because you can't know every word that's in the dictionary. And I find myself, you know, people think I'm an expert, but I look things up all the time, sometimes on my own site, because I can't remember, you know, something that I wrote 10 years ago when I want to get it exactly right. I mean, reference guides are so essential, not only for the average person, but even even for the people making them, we still use them all the time. All the time. That is an excellent point, especially given that as an online dictionary, we have the ability to see what people are looking up and what uh, that says about their needs for a reference. And guess what? Those words are the words we grapple with every single day. Affect versus effect. (laughs) Infer versus imply. What is another word for beautiful? It's not all that sophisticated or fancy for a lot of our everyday needs. Um, And that just goes to show that language is something that we use to communicate. It also goes to show that language is something, words are something that we all struggle with too. And you're never stupid if you don't remember the definition of a word like affect, or you're never stupid if you struggle with the difference between affect versus effect. Why? Language is hard, (laughs) and we get to really be helpful and approachable uh, as a dictionary in grappling with that. So I know that the Grammar Girl audience, you know, who versus whom, I can never keep it straight. Oh my gosh, you know, my English teacher would be so upset. No. Asking those questions, coming back to reference sites, being curious, and I think struggling with the English language is a sign of intelligence. Yeah, I could not agree more. And uh, I, I mean, I've talked to English professors who struggle with affect versus effect. Uh, you know, it's just it, it it's just some there's so many tiny little things to remember. Yeah, there's absolutely no shame right. in looking anything up. And so let's talk about how words get updated too. Do you? You know, I I know sometimes dictionary makers just go through the dictionary alphabetically, but then is there a time when, you know, a word will essentially jump the line and and move to the front because it's important for some reason? Like, how how do you decide when to update specific words? That is a really great question. And the answer, in short, again, is prioritization. We very much are attuned to where language is changing. Why does that matter? Because that is the words that are top of people's minds. Those are the words that are confusing, and a dictionary has the opportunity to help educate on. Uh, And it also is what words people are looking up. So I don't know if we all remember it, but we had a pandemic. Uh, We still have a pandemic. And we had a lot of ongoing work. You know, the work of a dictionary, yes, is adding new words. And those are the fun new words like forest bathing or chair yoga, or, you know, I mentioned hope punk before, or paternity leave, uh, or, you know, fun words like that. And those are exciting and splashy, but actually a lot of the work of a dictionary is maintenance. Language is constantly changing. And so we have to go back through the records and update senses of words that take on new definitions. We have to go back and look through definitions of words that are outdated, 
for example, science and medical words, when the state of the art changes, we got to go back through in that definition and all other definition it touches to change it. We have ongoing work. We prioritize based on what people are looking up, what we think is uh, relevant and useful for our users who are coming to our site. And also things come up like the pandemic where things stop and we go, oh, wow, here we have this massive influx of new vocabulary. It's scary. It's challenging. It's new. And all of a sudden we're, we're all talking like epidemiologists mm-hmm. and our team will prioritize those words because that is the information that is of the moment and that people are looking up and we can be helpful to our users and provide that information for. So we touched up, we updated, you know, tons of new words for COVID. We added new words for COVID. Um, and then another area that can be a little bit more controversial that is top of mind in language change in the culture is around words that deal with identity. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the work that our lexicographers have done in the past, you know, five years or so deal with the changing language of identity labels. Are we doing this because we have an agenda, because we're taking political sides? No, we're doing it because that is where language is changing. And that is where we need to be on top of, you know, a lot of the challenges and confusions that result when language does change. Stop punishing yourself with bland, chalky protein shakes and fuel your fitness with the best protein in the game at GNC. We've got the hottest brands and flavors that legit taste like cookies, your favorite cereal, indulgent desserts, and more. It's on at GNC. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than a life policy. It's about the promise and the responsibility that comes with being a new parent. Being there day and night and building a plan for tomorrow, today. For the ones you'll always look out for, trust Amica Life Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy. Remember the frustration of trying to memorize vocabulary and grammar rules only to find you couldn't actually use the language in real life? Well, there's a better way to learn. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program with millions of users learning 25 different languages, and you can get it on your desktop or as an app on your phone or tablet. Rosetta Stone immerses you in many ways with its intuitive process. It's really different. You pick up the language naturally, first with words, then with phrases, and then with sentences. Plus, with Rosetta Stone's True Accent feature, you'll get feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. Don't put off learning that language. There is no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Grammar Girl listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Is it rosettastone.com slash grammar. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash grammar today. So you're looking at the way people are using these words differently and then updating based on that, right? Yes. The work of a dictionary is ultimately reflective, meaning we're not driving the definition, we're responding 
to how the word is being used in the wild. And that is something that linguists call descriptivism. They're not trying to prescribe, that is, this is how you should use it. They're trying to describe, going, this is how people are using it. And to do that, our lexicographers look at data. They look at loads and loads of written and transcribed speech. They look at large amounts of corpora data. Corpora is a fancy Latin word for, you know, a set of texts. And they use that to go, this is how a word is being used. This is how it has changed. And this is why it is important to capture that. This can be, you know, hot button when it comes to issues of gender identity expression, uh, but it affects so many different areas in our lives. It deals with race. We've, you know, capitalized into being black. It deals with, like I said, gender identity expression in terms of how we refer to the LGBTQIA plus community, but it also deals with how we refer to mental health, uh, addiction, uh, topics of suicide, homelessness, and so on. We're not changing these definitions because we feel like it or because we have a political agenda. And I understand why it can feel that way because a dictionary is a place people go to for objectivity and authority. We're doing that because that's where the language change is. And it's controversial because change is hard. And we have these negotiations and renegotiations happening through language. And oftentimes it can feel like a dictionary is just going out and deciding to do this because news of the change or experience of the change is happening on social media. And so if you see a dictionary like dictionary.com announcing a new definition or a new term on, say, your Twitter feed, chances are, with very few exceptions, that change had been underway 5, 10, 20 years earlier. And that's because oftentimes language change is older than you think. Mm -hmm. So sometimes what seems like a new word has actually been around for a very long time. Take, for instance, Gen Z slang. Gen Z slang might be, you know, might sound like a, you know, alien language mm -hmm. to some users. No cap, hits different, skirt. But here's the thing. A lot of those terms have been documented in hip-hop lyrics in the 1990s. And it just takes time for the words, the vocabulary, the language of an outgroup of a subculture to trickle into the mainstream, bubble up, become widespread, have a common meaning, have stayed, have staying power, and be useful for a general audience to be in a dictionary. And then you experience it, though, on the other end of it is all of a sudden these young kids these days are making up new words. That's not exactly how it works. <laughs> okay, so you so you have to tell me so what kids so it's not kids these days, but okay, I, I know skirt isn't about you know a, a flowy bottom thing that I wear. So first, what is skirt? Skirt is a playful interjection. It's sort of like uh, a younger generation's record scratch. It can be used as an interjection to express surprise uh, or excellence or excitement. Uh, we're having pizza tonight, skirt. <laughs> and it originates, uh, it's believed to originate in black slang uh, and it's spread to the mainstream, uh, largely through youth audiences. That's fun. And I know I've heard no cap, but what exactly does it mean? No cap really took off uh, from black hip hop culture. It is a phrase that essentially means no lie, for real. It's a way to say genuinely. It's a way to intensify the authenticity of something. So Grammar Girl is the best podcast around no cap. 
So actually, it could be a replacement for literally. If literally bothers you for emphasis, you could say no cap. Unless people really want to get up in arms about no cap literally meaning without a hat on. But yes, you could use it for emphasis to mean, uh, you know, I am literally so hungry I could eat a horse. We hope you won't. But, you know, I am so hungry I could eat a horse, no cap. Yeah. That is a way to add a little bit of color uh, for expressions like literally, which are used figuratively to add some zhuzh to our speech yeah. acts. And so I noticed too, it sort of makes sense in a different place in the sentence too. Language is so interesting that way. An intensifier, you know, one can go here, one makes more sense there. I love it. And then the other one you mentioned was hits different. So let's talk about that. Hits different is a way to call out how something just sort of stands out to you. If it's a new song that you like a lot, or if it's a, a new food item that really uh, you know, really sated you, you might say, oh, that really hits different. Uh, and that that's a great example of how words can be funny with that different, right? Hits here means, you know, to, to kind of have an effect on. And different is a great example of how we can use things that look like adjectives, but as an adverb. So hits different, right? So right. it can be like in, in Gen Z slang, the flat adverb. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Nice. And so I, I want to go back one thing because I think people will find it interesting. I'm sure everyone imagines that when you're looking for new words, you're reading newspapers and books. Um, but, you know, what are some of the sources you look at that might surprise people? I think one thing that might surprise people is the extent to which we have to dive into uh, medical texts, you know, the DSM-5 manual, uh, we also uh, dive into a lot of uh, specialized style guides, you know, not just the AP style guide, but black journal style guides, uh, radio and TV podcast transcripts, right? So these days with so many podcast consumers, uh, the, these podcasts aren't just, uh, you know, a new form of information or entertainment, but they're also a new source of data for language change for our lexicographers. We did uh, some work on a term that is controversial for a variety of reasons, Latinx, for instance. Mm -hmm. And this is a great example of how a dictionary isn't just putting a word in the dictionary because it feels like it. Uh, it's putting the word in the dictionary because it's trying to document areas of language change. This is also an example of how we have to continue to update our dictionary because usages of new terms can often change faster than we can keep up with sometimes. Dictionaries are a lagging indicator. We're, we're, we're intentionally behind the times. It's better anyway, than it used to be now that you're online instead of in print, but still lagging. Absolutely, absolutely. And in a term like Latinx, this might surprise people, but we, we called college campuses. Latinx is a term that originates uh, very much in a lot of academic usages, and it spreads to the mainstream. And so to get evidence on the pronunciation... Latinx, Latinxes, uh, our lexicographers would call the experts. So we'd get, we'd hit the phones to get data on, you know, inside knowledge of the pronunciation of a word. Yeah, that's great. I was that was going to be my next question is, do you consult experts? I was pretty sure you did. And, you know, what kind of experts are you consulting? Are you, you know, calling, uh, medical labs to, to get their input? Are you, you know, yeah, who are you talking to? It depends on the term. 
if it is a, a science term, a medical term, we're going to be looking at scientific and medical literature and their experts. If it is a slang term that has, you know, kind of settled on one meaning, I say that because slang terms evolve fast and often fade out. And that's why a lot of slang doesn't get into the dictionary because it's always on the move. Um, we look at all sorts of data on the likes of Twitter. So social media, again, is in a way we just get our news or have fun or share what we're doing. It's also a very important uh, feed of data for lexicographers. Yeah, that was one thing I noticed when I was looking up skirt on uh, dictionary.com. I noticed it was in a section that was labeled slang dictionary. And I was wondering if you could – is that a whole separate thing? Is it just part of it? Like what what is the slang dictionary? That's a great question. So we have – we're an online dictionary. We all live our lives online. So two things need to happen. As a general dictionary, we need to do a rigorous job to really hit that criteria for the new words we're adding. That helps us make sure that we're defining with objectivity. That makes sure that we are as accurate with new words or new definitions or new entries as we can be over time because we have so many thousands and millions of things to touch that we really need to make sure that we are capturing meanings uh, that are stable and that are a bit more general. However, that's our core dictionary. However, at the same time, we know that as an online dictionary, we got to keep up with language at the pace of change. And so we have the ability to document words in the moment. And so we have all sorts of articles and blog content and sub-dictionaries that move towards defining words in context, providing some information on their origin and their usage that allows us to speak to the moment and capture language as it is right now, but for words that might not have the staying power, uh, you know, words that kind of fizzled out after five or 10 years that were more so a flash in the plan. So we think that we do a good job of doing both. We can really take care for our core dictionary, you know, the one that you might take to, you know, a desert island, uh, but also we also have the ability to document language as it's changing right now. So almost, I think that it almost sounds like a, yeah. a farm league. I mean, if you think about baseball, you know, is the is the slang dictionary kind of like the farm league, and some words will make it up into the big time, and and others will just sort of fade away. Yeah, I I often use I, I like that metaphor much better than mine, which is as a way station. Uh, it's it's our ability to speak to the moment uh, without necessarily prioritizing the wrong work. That's, for our core dictionary. That's so interesting. You know, I've still got in the back of my mind, you said that um, you go to podcasts and suddenly I realized I could make Fetch happen. <laughs> Keep trying. <laughs> uh, I bet you've heard that joke before. Um, let's talk. You had some other really interesting uh, uh, words that you highlighted for me uh, that I'd like to go through. I thought um, bottle episode was a neat one that I hadn't heard before, but I instantly found useful. So, you know, before when I had to look up, just for the sake of accuracy, <laughs> just for the sake of accuracy, the definition of, of Hope Punk in terms of its uh, genre, uh, Bottle Episode was also a new one to me when I was putting together some exciting words for your wonderful podcast. 
And that just goes to show how vast and how fast changing our language is. So I share your excitement. This is a great example of an area of language change where you have this delightful moment where you will go, oh, I didn't know we had a word for that. (laughs) And bottle episode is one of those. You might have seen uh, an episode of Seinfeld where the crew is only in a Chinese restaurant. You might have seen an episode of Breaking Bad where two of the characters are only in a lab chasing a fly. This, this became a trope in television, and the trope deserved a name. And the name is Bottle Episode. This is just an episode of television or other such series where all the action takes place in one place, as if a ship in the bottle or as if it's bottled up. And so bottle episodes occur often because of budget reasons for studios. Maybe they're mid-season and they need some more money and they don't want to do too much on location. Or maybe they do it creatively to develop characters in a small space. But the matter is, new things happen in the world, new technologies occur, new cultural phenomenon occur, and they deserve names. They get names. And then these names spread and then they end up in the dictionary. Bottle episode is one of them. And it's so useful. Another one that I instantly thought would be useful is rage farming. So I, you know, I, um, when I was a professor, I taught graduate level social media and I taught people about rage farming, but I didn't know it had a name and maybe it didn't back then. Maybe, maybe people didn't know, but, um, rage farming one, you should avoid it. And two, let's tell people what it is. Sure. Rage farming is, again, an example of uh, a term that uh, spread for a phenomenon that we all know too well, which is the ways in which media, especially social media, can be used to rile us up. And rage farming, put simply, is a slang term for a political tactic of intentionally provoking opponents, political opponents, in order to create or increase exposure for their cause. And that is often associated with trolling uh, or other such behaviors that take advantage of our emotions online to spread some not so good emotions to activate people's political feelings. Yeah. So when you see something that makes you feel outraged, your initial reaction is to respond, to dunk on them, to retweet it with a, a comment saying how horrible it is. You're being rage farmed. Uh, your rage you're is being, rage being farmed. farmed. And the only thing you're accomplishing, well, pretty much the only thing you're accomplishing is giving them more exposure. So resist that urge. Please, please people, resist that urge. Studies after studies show that you know negative emotions are much easier to activate online and that repeating negative emotions or untruths or, or false information really sinks deeply in the mind. So let's call back Hope Punk. We have a genre of speculative fiction that's about optimism. Let's take rage farming and get some hope farming out of it because I think we could all use it these days. Absolutely. Now, and um, maybe a more fun word related to online that, that you highlighted for me was Boca. And this is when you um, blur – I think it's when you blur the background in your images, which we're all doing on Zoom now these days. But the spelling was really interesting to me. So I was curious about the or, – well, for, I mean – Probably not everyone knows the word, so you can explain more what it is. And then maybe talk about the origin because the spelling is really interesting. Sure. This this is a word that really grabs my attention too because of the spelling, but also because it is this beautiful little package of two syllables 
that names this concept that we're all so familiar with in our lives in 2022. Bokeh is the blurry quality in the out-of-focus parts of a photograph, and it's regarded as an aesthetic effect rendered by a particular lens or its digital simulation. It could also be practical, too, in the case of blurring out the background in Zoom. B-O-K-E-H is how it's spelled. Boca is how it's pronounced. We have evidence for it, uh, at least, you know, the mid-1990s to early 2000s. And it's spelled, interestingly, because it ultimately comes from Japanese, Mm -hmm. boca. And that is a word that means fuzziness or blurring. That word itself is shortened from pinboka, a state of being out of focus. Boca is a great example of how we get new words. Uh, One way we get new words is through loan words. English especially loves to take Uh, sometimes in good ways, historically, sometimes in some very problematic ways from other languages and make it our own. And now we all have a word to impress our friends, our parents, or teachers for when our Zooms blurred out. Boca. (laughs) And another really useful one that you highlighted for me was nibbling. Let's talk about nibblings. I love this word. It's a fun word. And it's also a very useful word. And it just kind of goes to show how many gaps we still have in our language. You know, I mentioned before that the vocabulary of English is vast, if not infinite, uh, and yet we still find the need for new words or we still find where we don't have words for things. What's the thing here? I've got a niece. I've got a nephew. How do I refer to them collectively? How do I refer to them if I don't need to refer to their gender identity or expression? So a nibbling is a child of one's sibling, such as a niece or a nephew. It's especially used in the plural and as a gender neutral term. I gen- Here's an example. I generally get along with ki- kids quite well. My nibblings ask me to play whenever I visit my si- sibling or my nibblings started their new job last week. So I'm not specifying that they're a niece or a nephew in the second example. And the other one, I can refer to nieces and nephews collectively using the word nibblings. This word has actually been around uh, a lot longer than we may realize. It's new. It was new to me a few years ago. It might be new to many of you right now. But guess what? It goes back to the 1950s. And it's also an example of a word that has been coined. Another way we get new words. That's when one person or a group of people make up a word. This one was by a linguist, Samuel E. Martin. And he took the N and nephew and niece and blended it with sibling to get nibbling. Guess what? What about aunts and uncles? How do we refer to them collectively or in a gender neutral way? Pibbling, P-I-B-L-I-N-G, is a way to do that. And the P is from the P and parent. Amazing. And it is astonishing to think that we we don't regularly, you know, that we don't have words as common as siblings for our nibblings or our pibblings. Is that right? (laughs) For our nibblings or our pibblings. That's an interesting way to look at it. Why don't we have this word? Is it because we have historically not needed as many, we haven't needed the word? Uh, Has it been because another word for it, like say cousin, which historically could refer to any fairly close family member kind of fell off in that sense. Language changes in mysterious ways and its gaps 
sometimes can be surprising and there may not be a good reason for it. It just is. Yeah, yeah. That's so interesting too. I didn't know that about cousin, that it could be used more broadly. Of course that makes sense. That's another way language changes is meanings broaden or narrow. Um, fascinating. Mm-hmm. If I recall correctly, I think the word sibling itself was uh, dates back to and was used in Old English and then it fell away for a very long time until an anthropologist or other such social scientist actually brought it back uh, and revived it in our vocabulary through their research or studies. Oh, I love this so much. It's so interesting. Um, I think the last one that we'll talk about, I'm not sure I'm going to pronounce it right, but I think it's skeomorph or skeuomorph. Let's, let's talk about what that is. Skeuomorph. That is a difficult to spell and pronounce word that names a concept that we all know so well. This is a design or an element of a design especially an icon on a digital device like your cell phone that mimics a real world, a three-dimensional and analog look or sound of a physical object. So if you have uh, a Apple watch and you have turned your setting to make it look like a physical wristwatch with hands and minute hands that are just imitating an original watch, that is an example of a skeuomorph. We have lots of skeuomorphs on the uh, icons of our cell phones, the clock icon, the calculator icon, other things like that, even the file folder symbol online, you could call a skeuomorph because it's using a and the kind of the original three-dimensional analog object to represent it on the digital form. You know, the floppy disk for save. That's a skeuomorph. Nice. We have learned so many useful words today that that I think, you know, they, they seem maybe new or unusual, but they describe things that we encounter every day or, you know, at least every month. Um, I love this. Thank you so much, John. Thank you so much, Mignon. That was fascinating. Our conversation again today was with John Kelly, the Senior Director of Editorial at Dictionary.com. Best place to find him, best place to find new words, words that have been updated, thesaurus.com. If you have thesaurus needs, that's all for today. Thanks for listening. If you're on a GLP-1, you're probably loving the results. You look good. But how do you feel? How about the stomach issues? Loss of muscle mass? Lacking energy? All of those side effects can take a toll. So now what? The answer is GNC. We have solutions that can help address those side effects and make sure you don't get knocked off your path. Because when it comes to living healthy, we're all about it. And that includes keeping you going on your GLP-1 journey. GNC. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation.